0: I remember a time when Jedi were not generals, but peacekeepers.
1: We
2: are protectors, Highness. We fight for peace. (laughs) Come on, then. Who'll strike first and brand themselves a cold-blooded killer? Anakin. What? He was gonna blow up the ship.
1: Welcome! To the Star Wars Brothers podcast. I am Cliff Boyd and I'm here with John Boyd. He is me. And Drew Shepard.
0: Greetings.
1: What voice is that, Drew?
0: That was my attempt at Yoda. Oh. uh, Attempt (laughs) is key there. John. What, I just can't do a voice and it not be anyone? Come on. <laughs> we are uh,
1: we are actually re-recording here. We were in the middle of recording this week's episode, and my internet just kicked off. And uh, we record these on Zoom, and, and so everything shut down. We had discussed the first episode, but I just talked to Drew. Uh, and I think we're just going to start over. John was on that, that as well. He may be able to join us late here, but you know, we lost some of the, we lost some of the discussion that we had and, and rather than having it, having it be all broken up and segmented, I just thought it might be easier to, to start over. Sound good to you, Drew? That'll work. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we went through the, the Mandalore, I forget what this arc was called. The Mandalore trilogy, I mm-hmm. believe. I think so. Okay. And so it it spans three episodes in season two, right in the middle of season two. I don't have the names of the episodes in front of me, but essentially what happens is at the beginning of it, we have Obi-Wan going to investigate a, uh, so there've been some attacks on Republic ships from uh, a guy that's in Mandalorian armor. And so they get, I guess a a video of that or something. And so Obi-Wan goes to investigate under the suspicion, Obi-Wan, I don't know that Obi-Wan is suspicious of this, but others have the suspicion that Satine and the Mandalorians are actually actually behind these things. So Obi-Wan shows up to investigate, and we meet Duchess Satine, who is sort of a leader of the Mandalorian people on the Mandalore planet. We'll come to find out she's a pacifist and says, no, I had nothing to do with these attacks. Uh, they're completely anti-fighting there. And they actually mention in the episode that uh, that all of the Mandalorian warriors were exiled to the moon, and would have died off years and years ago. And so the 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 person who is attacking the Republic ships, she claims, isn't them, isn't one of them. But over the course of Obi Wan's time there, there is a some kind of a I forget exactly what happens, but anyway, they discover that some guy is is that she's close to is, I think he maybe makes an attempt on her life or something like that. And then he books it and ends up jumping off of a, a building and killing himself when he gets cornered. So they go off to the moon to investigate together and to see if anything is going on. And they discover, uh, well, first they're met by a fella named Pri I think it is. He's the leader of the moon colony. And they're an independent state planet. <laughs> Know what you call it, they're an independent people, uh, and and pretty Vizla, I believe, is the guy that's in charge over there. And so, they so Satine goes out to dinner with him, and they apparently have, um, uh, you know, have basically a communication. Some you know, they're, they're spending some time together so that Obi Wan can sneak off and go investigate the rest of the planet. And he discovers a factory where they're making Mandalorian armor and mining the stuff on the Mandalorian moon that makes Mandalorian armor and building a Mandalorian army there and uh, so that, that organization's called Death Watch they end up to sort of fight their way out Obi-Wan gets rescued by Satine and then they end up having to face off at the end against the leader of Death Watch who ends up being Pre Vizsla, the guy that is in charge of the moon colony, so They escape, and then in the next episode, all of the, well, several of the Senators are all basically gathered together on this ship, and Satine is among them for protection. And so Obi-Wan is there, and Anakin's there, and Cody and Rex are both there, and they are flying through hyperspace on this ship. I forget where they're going. I guess they're going to Coruscant, maybe. And uh, Satine's a little perturbed about it, but while they're there, the, there's these spider droids that get out and attack them. And so the Jedi and the clones that are there all fight off the spider droids, but they save one alive and they go and they bring, bring the living one over in front of all of the other politicians that are there until the, the little mini spider droid tries to attack. Them. Well, he's, he's trying to attack all of them except for the one guy who obviously is the guy that's, that's responsible for bringing them on, which is why the spider droid's not attacking him. So that guy books it and ends up with Satine and Obi-Wan in the same room as him. And he basically says, look, I know you're going to let me go because Obi-Wan, you're not going to kill me uh, because Satine would be disappointed in you because she's pacifist. And I didn't mention this, but they have a a, a relationship history of some sort. And uh, then He says, and Satine, you're not going to kill me because you are a pacifist. And while they're talking about it, Anakin comes up behind and stabs a guy in the back. So takes care of him. They make it to Coruscant and we start episode three. This episode is basically about, it's like a political discussion about whether or not the Republic should send troops to Mandalore uh, to assist against the Death Watch. And Satine is very much opposed to it. has to do with her pacifism and wanting to maintain neutrality and independence from the conflict. I think neutrality is probably her main driving force there. Um, Without neutrality, she's afraid that she will not be able to remain pacifist. And so, anyway, Palpatine obviously is involved in this plot behind the scenes to get the Republic to send troops there, because the idea is that the Mandalorians... A little Mandalorian army on the moon then will come step in against the Republic and then make themselves out to be the heroes among the, you know, among the main Mandalorian planet. So uh, anyway, there is a message that's played, but it's only a partial message from somebody who is now dead, who was killed that basically says, Hey, we need the Republic troops to come. That's what it sounds like it says anyway, but it's not full message we find out later it's only part of the message and so satine ends up having fear the contact on coruscant and that contact gets a hold of the full message and gives it to her in secret but uh so obi-wan and her are running through the streets of coruscant in that episode and, and basically they're trying to kill them so that that message can't get back to the main you know the main area but but it eventually does they they get it back to the council is it the council Am I thinking of that right, Jedi? Not the Jedi Council, just the Senate. The Senate, the whole—you know—all the little pods that float around—they play the full message, and the full message is like, "No, we actually don't want your troops to come." And so, um, during that uh, during that dialogue, basically, they decide that they're not going to send the Republic troops. So that basically settles the 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 conflict of the episode but then at the very end the guy that's in charge of all the Mandalorian troops is like oh okay well I'm gonna go I'm gonna go attack I'm gonna go fight he's like he's like look you're gonna lose if you do that you're gonna lose I know these things I know these things work and you've got to trust me and we're gonna you know we're gonna strike when the time is right but the time is not right. so they basically put off all of their plans to uh, to, to turn the Mandalorian people against the Republic and you know, achieve a separatist alliance and they, they basically earmark it for a future day. So that's the, uh, that's the plot summary. And it looks like we are joined by John Boyd. John, are you there? Hey, I'm here. Okay, great. We're all three here <laughs> and we are going to start over. So I'm on all three. Um, I've just summarized all three episodes. And the uh, you know, the thing that we're gonna do now is we, we may miss some stuff from last week that we discussed and hopefully we can rehash a little bit of it, but we're just gonna talk about all three episodes in the arc together and here we go. What'd you guys think about this art?
0: We're already rating it? Wow, that's fast. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Seven. We're trying to influence
2: each other.
0: Stop, no kid, That's exactly what I had down to already. <laughs> Now, I, I, I want everyone, because I loved hearing this last time we started this, John, for you to go into the black lightsaber, because to me, that was like one of the coolest things we talked about last week. That's really what I remember the most.
1: At the end yes. of the first episode, the guy that's in charge of that moon colony and in charge of the Death Watch pulls out this black lightsaber that looks like a blade, and it's awesome. Apparently, stole it from a Jedi temple. Uh, Drew, we didn't realize it, but
2: John, you had some cool insights. Why don't you share that again? Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert: if you haven't watched The Mandalorian yet, and you plan to, you might want to like turn this off until you see it. So, uh, at the end of the uh, at the at the end of the first season of uh, The Mandalorian, uh, the main uh, evil character guy—I don't remember his name. Uh, actually emerges from his ship after it's been shot down, uh, holding this black lightsaber. Um, and so I'm really hoping we get some more uh, information on this thing. I do I do know that in this episode, uh, it, he describes it as uh, having cut down many Jedi or something like that um, after having been stolen. So kind of cool that we see that in The Mandalorian. Um, and again, really hoping for some more, uh, more insight into this thing.
1: Yeah. And the guy that it's the guy you said, you couldn't remember his name, but he's the guy that runs the chicken place. Drew, you remember the name of it last time.
0: Polios
2: Hermanos. Was that Polios Hermanos
0: <laughs>
2: from, fact uh, to, Breaking Bad.
0: Fun fact too about him. Uh, do you know who the voice actor for the governor was who was using that lightsaber?
1: Did you tell us last time? Or is this I don't just... think I did. Oh, Okay, who is it? I don't...
0: I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Um, what is it? John Favreau. Favreau.
1: No way! Is it really?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, cool. John Favreau is a big deal now. He was a, he wasn't quite as big a deal back when this was coming out. I don't think. Mm-mm. But since then, man, that Avengers stuff—he's just—he's
2: gone gone wild with his uh, influence. And he just,
0: and the other notable voice
2: actor. It's just the start of the crossover, the Marvel Star Wars crossover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other notable voice actor was The Traitor. What's that? The, uh, the other notable voice actor was The Traitor. The okay. senator who betrayed. Yeah. Greg cool. Krups. I don't know who that is. Do you ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, I've seen it some. Yeah. He was the guy with the curly hair and the glasses a lot of times. Okay. All right. Cool. So that's awesome.
1: All right. So one of the major things that we see in this episode arc is series arc is the, uh, the romantic history of Obi-Wan and something that <laughs> we mentioned about Obi-Wan last week is, you know, this episode starts out and he's got this relationship with Satine and it, it seems to be like, man, Obi-Wan is a ladies' man. He's got a woman in every port, on every planet. <laughs> but come to find out, this relationship is actually uh, seemingly a little bit more serious than a quick fling. He is very flirtatious, obviously, with, with everyone. But, um, and we, we talked about that before. He's flirtatious with
2: uh, um, Ventress. He's flirtatious with, who else, guys? The zombie lady. That uh, controls the bugs.
0: <laughs> the hive queen.
1: <laughs> a little bit of flirtatious with General Grievous. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but this is this is something that's that's more than that. I think he spent in his past with Qui Gon. They spent time together on this planet for like a year, and I forget all the details behind that. But um, but they developed a relationship during that time. And uh, relatively strong romantic connection between the two that is obviously was, was something that never was pursued the fullest because they haven't seen each other in a long time. They're getting, you know, get, finally getting to see each other again in this arc. But tell me what y'all's uh, thoughts were. And we, we can, last time I think we kind of limited it at the first episode in our discussion about it. But let's talk about the relationship between Satine and Obi Wan over the course of this arc.
0: I found it interesting at first when he was talking to Anakin that his phrase was, I knew her in the past. Hmm. And now that's something that, you know, even if I'm not close with someone that I knew 10, 15 years ago, or, I mean, I'm not have any falling outs but, <laughs> that I'm aware of with people. But even if I did, you know, I still don't know that I would ever say, yeah, I used to know that person in the past. So I just found his word choice very interesting. Like, instead of, yeah we know each other we haven't spoken or kept up much it's just I knew her I, so I just found it interesting as the starting point for his conversation with her about Anakin
1: yeah it definitely seems to be kind of trying to keep things from Anakin and Anakin doesn't really he figures it out eventually but uh, toward the beginning he is very you know keeping keeping the history between the two of them close to his chest I don't know mm-hmm. they for Anakin's protection. Do you think he's doing it because he's embarrassed about it? I mean, what's the what's the motivation there?
2: Well, he's he's got to be, you know, a lead by example for Anakin, I think, and uh, and <laughs> Anakin uh, obviously has already gone down the incorrect path with this, and and uh, you know, Obi Wan has got to know. Uh, that that there's probably more than than Anakin wants him to know right uh, about this relationship with Padme at least that's how I've always thought of it like Obi-Wan's just kind of overlooking this because well Anakin's my responsibility um and so uh so he can't have Anakin being like master you did it uh, you're you're fine you know uh, and so i think that, that that's probably his reason for for kind of his his secretiveness, his reservations, his almost frustration at Anakin sticking his nose in it at times i I think they all kind of know
1: the thing is like Jedi aren't supposed to form attachments right that's the that's the idea but um but they are i think allowed to sleep around a little bit. <laughs> That's the impression I get anyway. <laughs> like yeah, well, it, I even think like we got some indication in the last episode where it seems like it seems to me like the whole Jedi council is just kinda like, yeah, we know something stuff with anything sadly, but Yoda's <laughs> yeah, like, how did you know that or <laughs> so, They're
0: think, so yeah.
2: pure they're naive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, attachments are forbidden. Um, and, and I think we can see why, uh, because, uh, at the one point where the, the guy had the detonator thing, um, I, I think Obi-Wan wouldn't have thought twice about slicing this guy in half, uh, had his ex not been there, uh, kind of challenging him. I call ex. I I don't know, his fling, um, challenging him to, to, to not almost. Um, and, and it, him using that against the two of them, uh, of course, Anakin settles that, uh, but even, uh, um, you, you know, I know it was kind of code, uh, what they were saying, uh, but at one point, Obi-Wan says, you know, I would have left the, all this behind yeah. if you had just given the word. And I know, I, I believe that that was kind of code, but I think there was some truth to it, maybe, um. You know, Obi Wan was oh, I don't understand what you're saying there. So it was uh um she uh-huh. was she was almost delaying, right? They were they're having some back and forth there. Um, it's been a over a week now since I've seen the episode. But uh when he had his, his detonator and the, the threat was going on there, it was uh that that little bit of banter back and forth um was almost a a delay, and a—at uh, least that's the way I felt about no, it. yeah, <laughs> uh, um, but it wasn't genuine talk necessarily. Um, but when he said that, it was like he almost didn't even have to say that. Yeah, right. You know, I would have left that, it all right, if, if you'd just given me the word.
1: Right. I, I definitely think that was that was sincere, and that is. Uh, that shows a lot of similar, That that reveals a lot of similarity between Anakin and um o- and Obi Wan in that regard. But the fact is that Obi Wan didn't leave it all. Obi Wan did stick to his obligations as a Jedi. But but they are not so different after all. And I don't I forget if, if we talked about it last week or not. But so, some people think that maybe if Qui Gon had trained um and had trained Anakin that he would have turned out okay. And John pointed out, was it you or Drew that pointed out the Battle of the Fates is the name of the song? Which, uh, it's a the
2: Duel of Fates. Fates.
1: Duel of Fates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, well, if it's the fate of Anakin, right? So if Obi Wan wins, right. gonna, Anakin wins, he's going to end up light side. So.
0: But what a missed opportunity for Obi Wan, really. I mean, because for him to bring up Anakin in the sense, if he was onto them, you know, Anakin and Padme for Obi-Wan to say, look, I know you have these feelings. I've been here. I know what you're going through right now. I mean, what a missed opportunity by Obi-Wan. Yeah. So, I mean, if he did know, even more shame on him than I've ever thought before after seeing this.
1: I mean, Anakin obviously ends up with huge trust issues with the Jedi, and that's one of the things that Palpatine leverages in,
0: in getting him to
1: turn to the dark side. Is like, look, you can't trust these people. And, uh, and, and maybe he can't. You know, Obi keep Wan's the closest person to him, and he's keeping his, you know, really big things out of his life from him uh, that that really could have an impact on
0: him. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely and, set the precedent for it can be done, but at a cost. And what cost are you willing to give for it? Because even at some point, Obi Wan said something like, "Master Yoda usually leaves out the current or the the topic of remorse when he talks about not having attachments." And so, I mean, that, that's a big part to leave out. So to have the mentor say, look, there's going to be this remorse, <laughs> this regret, but as a Jedi, you just have to live with it.
1: What What a messed up rule. What, like, why? Why? For
0: the same <laughs> reason we saw in this episode when the guy has a exactly. bomb and he's like, well, I'm going to kill y'all if you don't. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan is like, "Did we get on to Anakin weekly for this, like, why are you risking the lives of everyone to save Padme? And then Obi-Wan is doing it then with Satim. And the irony is, this time, Anakin is the one that saves him by just lightsaber on, straight through the guy, and like, done. So,
2: And I, and I think it's just, it's the Jedi mindset. You know, we think back to the episode we reviewed with, uh, uh when the, the, the mind, not mind, uh, the catacombs had caved in, and we kind of debated on here about uh, how cold that was! That that they were just like ah, um, we. I guess we just got to go. Um, right. But Anakin really wanted to. He had, and it wasn't a relationship like a romantic relationship. But he had formed that attachment with Ahsoka to where he was, he was not necessarily doing what what the more experienced Jedi was telling, because of that uh, attachment that he had had from the past or current actually. Yes.
1: I think the Jedi need to uh, need to evolve and and learn to nurture attachments and deal with them just like the rest of us yeah. do. Let uh, the past die. Yeah, I think that's just a I think it's just a problem. Now, I I would like to see going forward, following this new trilogy, and you know, they're talking about the destruction of the Jedi Order. That was a big theme in the in the sequel trilogy. D- Jedi and Sith all together, like done away with. And I don't know that that happened. I <laughs> you know I don't know if they. That ever really paid off or not. Uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. <laughs> you know, we thought Palpatine was dead and then he wasn't. Um, and so uh, who knows? Who knows where they'll take you? But I would like to see them go to a world of many Force users on many different, you know, parts of the spectrum. Maybe that doesn't fit within the Star Wars lore because the Midicorians and the light and dark and the balance and all that but i like to see some gray Jedi in the future. So I hope we see some force users that are not necessarily totally light or totally dark, but are kind of in the middle between the two. So. There was one moment going back to the moment. It was actually my favorite moment in this arc. And I just, just kind of said, yes, (laughs) it's awesome. It was when the guy, and I didn't mention this in the summary, but it was at the end of that second episode. The guy that they chase down, Merrick, I believe is his name, he has a button he's about to press. And that's when it's like, I know you won't kill me because you'll disappoint Satine, and I know you won't kill me because you're a pacifist. Um, what he says is it's, it's, it was so awesome. He says, who will strike first and brand themselves a cold-blooded killer? And the moment that comes out of his mouth, the lightsaber goes through his back. And it's like, Anakin is the cold-blooded killer. I just thought it was so perfect, so perfectly timed and was just a great, and then he's like totally nonchalant about it. He's like, what? He's about to blow up the ship.
0: I mean, he had a point. Like...
1: <laughs> but I just love how they, they led from that line of who's the cold-blooded killer into Anakin being the one who is the cold-blooded killer. <laughs> That's definitely what he becomes. It's a really cool foreshadowing there. I love that moment. What'd you guys think about the Mandalorians?
2: A little disappointed. Yeah. Um,
1: Why were you disappointed in in uh, I, particularly talking about the Mandalorian warriors? Why were you disappointed in them, John?
2: Right. I I, uh, I think it could have been. Uh, so so I, as I mentioned last time, um, the uh, th- they are good fighters. Obviously, they they took on Obi Wan Kenobi. They took his lightsaber. They set him up in a a smashing device um of course they always drag it out instead of just killing him um, <laughs> but uh set him up to be smashed um and, and as i've mentioned before on this obi-wan's not uh an easy jedi to uh to face successfully um and and so uh so so we know they're good but the the fight scenes they were involved in in this and such uh, just did not not seem uh, believable enough to me. Um, and uh, and from from what I've seen of Mandalorians um, from the uh, the show, The Mandalorian, uh, I wanted to see more variety. And then they all kind of looked the exact same. Their armor looks the same. Of course, there could be a lot that happens between now and and then we know there is um, that could, could add to that variety. Uh, But it was just a little disappointing to me.
0: Sure. I I see that.
2: I see that. Drew, what do you think about him?
0: Uh, I'm with John on most of that. They definitely got the drop on him and on Obi-Wan at first to sort of capture him. But after he escaped, I, they they just seemed a little over played um, in the sense that hyped up a little bit too much when like 12 of them were trying to attack him and then none of them could do it again. Um, So I was like, well, was it just pure luck or skill that they captured him the first time? Um, And, you know, after watching the Mandalorian, I was like, oh, these guys are stinking awesome fighters. So, I mean, you know, two captured him, then all these couldn't. So I was like, well, you know, was that maybe Obi-Wan? So I was just a little underwhelmed. Because I you know, I thought, oh, this is going to be an awesome fight scene. And maybe it was just how it was written. Just It disappointed me a little bit. I just wanted to see more out of it. Yeah, okay. I
1: want to talk a little bit about uh, just a couple design things that I thought were, were interesting. I'm curious if you all have any thoughts about sort of any of the artistic, mainly the visuals, but anything, I guess, that, that you want to bring out artistically from these episodes. I, I liked Satine's design, and I read later – So she had these, what do you call them? The little bell-like flowers that that came out around her head. What kind of Uh, flowers?
2: Like callow lilies. Yeah,
1: right. So they they kind of surrounded her head. And I thought it was a really cool look. Very unique. And then you saw a a really cool contrast because she would take that off. And then she had kind of this short blonde hair and looked very, when she went off to rescue Obi-Wan on the moon planet. Actually, when she went to the moon planet in general with Obi-Wan, she was, she was not in her royal garb at all. They were kind of just on this little secret mission out to the moon. And, uh, and she was dressed very casually. And so you saw a very stark contrast between how she was when she was sort of in her official garb as a ruler or a political leader versus her casual. And I liked both looks. I thought it was really, really cool looking. I liked her voice. I liked her acting. I, I thought she was just a really cool character, very well designed, very well delivered, and come to find out, uh, I was reading on the Wikipedia page about it, and her design was actually based on a scrapped design for Queen Anidala. and so there was there's really is some similarity between that, where where Padme had a very casual look at times, and then she would have a very royal look where her face was painted and all that. So Satine mirrored that a little bit. I thought that was neat that they used that they used uh, some designs that, that didn't quite make the cut to film for Amidala. And then the other thing is I really liked the, I really liked, I, I thought it was really interesting. The look of Mandalore It's just this big barren wasteland, except for these big metal bubbles that everything that everybody lives in. And when y'all mentioned last, last week that it kind of it almost looked like a Minecraft world because everything was very blocky
0: the cube trees. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but I thought it was a cool design. At least it was unique, and uh, and and so I, I I liked that. And then I liked how it contrasted with the very foresty moon. Uh, and it's interesting that the planet was so barren, but then the moon is, seems to be where all the resources come from, where all the mining of the metals that they use for the armor came from. And then it was a very rich, abundant world out there. So. Those are the main two things I wanted to point out. Did y'all have anything design wise that stood out to you or impressed you or disappointed you in these episodes? What'd you think about the spider droids?
2: I liked it. I I really liked it. So, uh, so ever since the 1990s lost in space movie came out um, where they have to fight off uh, uh, spiders that produce multiple small spiders well, um I've loved that, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Drew, have you have you seen that movie, Lost in Space?
1: It is like a remake of the old Lost in Space. I
0: don't think I have.
1: Not the one they're doing a series, on Netflix, and I've seen up episode of that, it is pretty cool. But um the movie that came out like when we were kids was I still so think. Good. It. It's awesome. I actually don't know if it's up or not, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs>
0: It reminded me of a horror movie. These spider droids are like, you know, they're creeping around yeah. in the dark. They're like taking people up and like, oh, their feet are just dangling. And um, and then when you saw the little baby spiders pop out of the top, it reminded me of those, which are, are essentially, in my view, horror YouTube videos where you see someone smash the spider with the broom, and all of a sudden, two hundred baby eggs like all flood out. I was <laughs> like, that is a horrible day right there. I love it too. I thought they were awesome. What did y'all think of R two D two when he was down there searching?
1: It's cool. He can, he can fight. We've seen R two
2: D two do some combat stuff before. That yeah. So. <laughs> so I, I've I've never been a fan of R two D two fighting.
0: Okay.
2: Um, uh, I won't say never because probably when the prequels came out, I was like, oh yeah, that was awesome. Um, sure. But uh thinking back i just don't feel like that that that's his role like i mean he he shocks the little guy on java's little barge thing um at one point but other than that like the whole flying r2d2s and and actual fighting r2d2 i'm not as much a fan of um i, I kind of feel like his role is more along the lines of c3po where they're uh, going across a, a screen with blaster fire going all around them, not getting hit. Not that they're actually engaging in the battle. Um, but, whatever. Just a, yeah. a thing I have with the uh, those two droids. Uh,
1: I, I agree with you mostly, but I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't really mind. But what did you think about it, Drew? I,
0: I didn't mind it. The Honestly, the funniest part to me about that whole sequence with R2-D2 looking for it, was when it was either Rex or Cody. They called Anakin and they said, Your R2 units scared, so There's something that really bothered him up here, down, you know, down here, whatever he said. And I just started laughing. It was like, they give so much personality to these droids. And I was like, is this a child or like some small animal? Like, oh your dog seems so scared. I just found that I mean I just found that part funny to me. That just I love it, the personality that they give to the droid. Sometimes,
1: yeah, they did a good job with that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that y'all want to talk about in this arc before we go? One more up?
0: thing. I was. I mean, this was specifically for the last episode. Um, does it not seem weird that the Republic has enough on their plate, really, to deal with right now? You know, we've talked about oh how they're losing a lot of these battles against the separatists, and yet now. The uh, the chancellor's trying to commit them to another front as well, and all the senators are like, "Yes, this is a good idea. Let's let's even you know thin out our troops even more than we already have at this point." I'm just thinking, this this doesn't seem logical. So maybe I was wondering if you all could give me some insight if there's something going on there or if I missed something.
1: I don't know. I mean, the the war is not the only thing in the galaxy. There's other things that are going on. But this is directly connected to the war, too, because you had the, remember at the very, very beginning, and and we didn't really see much of it, but at the very, very beginning, you had the Mandalorian guy in armor that was attacking Republic ships. So I think that was the main motivation for the Senate in devoting all the resources here, was that there is an active threat out there that is going to keep causing us problems if we don't deal with it. So it wasn't directly against the separatists necessarily. I mean, I guess it was, but as far as they knew that it wasn't against the separatists, but it was a threat to their, to their fleets
2: and did have a direct the mm-hmm. war. Okay. So one thing that I, uh, that I enjoyed seeing was the, the big blue guy that was, uh, was hanging out with uh, Palpatine.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh,
2: because,
1: the guy with the horns
2: Yeah because he just kind of appears In the prequels And we, we never really know anything about him He's just kind of standing there With Palpatine in random scenes But here we actually uh, uh, Get to see a little bit more about him and, and I like those things that That's part of what I really like About these Clone Wars uh, series is, uh, is giving insight To some of those things That otherwise we'd really not know anything about Probably
1: Absolutely, and and he is definitely aware of Palpatine. Oh yeah, in manipulative ways, uh, and you can see that in his facial expressions. He's the guy who played the partial message, and you kind of get the indi- the in- indication that he knew there was a full message there. But um, and but that that I think that is very revealing that he is aware that Palpatine is playing both sides. I think we can derive that from this. Am I am I overreaching their guys, or is that, is that a reasonable conclusion from what
2: we saw? No, I, I, I definitely think he was assisting in the, the underhandedness going on here with Palpatine as well.
1: You know who it actually made me think of is in the last, it's the Rise of Skywalker, there ends up being that guy that has apparently been serving Palpatine since the Clone Wars who kind of pops up. I don't remember his name. I don't know if we'll see him anywhere or not in this Clone Wars series. I hope we do. But, but he sort of pops up and is like, oh, I've been serving you from the beginning. And you get it. You're like, this guy knew about it all along. He's still a part of it. He knew about it from the Clone Wars. He knows about it now, you know, 20, 30, 40, however many years later it is, I don't even know at this point. But the the, the fact is that Palpatine does have people, he's not the only person who knows his scheming there are other people involved, and apparently this, this horn-headed blue guy is one of them. Great call-out.
0: Last thing i want to mention on a lighter note, you know how we've talked about nicknames before? Like how Anakin and, um, you know, with his snips and Sky Guy, all those fun nicknames. Did you hear the nickname that Satim called Obi-Wan when she was in trouble?
1: Oh, I didn't. Know what was it?
0: Obi. <laughs> she screamed, O-B! Obi! obi Ob. <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. OB. I mean, oh yeah, it made sense. I was like, uh they got a they got a past here. They definitely do.
1: <laughs> uh, see, you gotta you gotta be pretty you gotta be working pretty hard to start making names for each
0: mm-hmm.
1: other. All right, let's rate it. Uh, let's see who. I don't know. I'm trying to make make the same person not go first every time, but I already know my rating. I'm not gonna change it.
0: I already said mine actually earlier, but I'll just say it again. Oh. I, I said seven out of 10. Oh, okay. Um, I really enjoyed getting to see Obi-Wan's uh, life and relationships. I mean, not literally, but, you know, through the conversations that they had and uh, just how much of it is foreshadowing of what we know happens with Anakin in the future. So. Okay.
2: So, So I'm at a seven as well. Um, and honestly, I would probably be a lot lower had it not been for that black lightsaber. Um, that that black lightsaber got me excited, um, and so I'm like, "Yes, something from the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian arc." Um, and so I'm I'm up at a seven now. Okay, nine
0: out of ten,
1: and it was almost a ten out of ten for me. Whoa. I- this arc i thought it was awesome i loved a lot of the moments i loved a lot of the discussions the discussion at the beginning of that second episode we didn't really talk about it here but where they were talking about um you know a lot about the jedi and what the what the nature of jedi are and and and, and there's just some really cool and, and pacifism and the war and all that stuff just i thought there were a lot of interesting subjects that were discussed there and a lot of really quotable things that came out of it then I loved some of the, some of the moments like when, when Anakin stabbed the guy in the back, I liked hearing about Obi-Wan's past and being able to think about how that paralleled to Anakin's struggles and what eventually led him to the dark side. I just thought this, this whole arc was really, really rich with things that deepened the meaningfulness of the movies. And, and so I really, all the movies, the old and new movies, um, uh, and when I say old and new, I mean old being the four, five, and six, and new being one, two, and three. I don't know that there's really any bearing on the well, the most recent three, but uh, but but the the original six movies, I thought, really got some great backstory in in this arc. So nine out of ten for me. All right, for next week, let me pull up my list here. Take me just a second. And this episode's going to go up late because, again, it's Sunday and we lost our original day of recording. We went up late last week, too, so maybe eventually we'll get back on our regular schedule.
0: I think it's Boba Fett's Revenge (laughs) is what's next. Okay. I'm looking. Hang on.
1: Ah, yes, you're right. Boba Fett's Revenge.
0: I got excited when I saw the title, like, two weeks ago. I was like, I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) This
1: sounds really cool. All right. Episodes 20, 21, and 22 from Season 2. Death Trap. R2 Come Home, and Lethal Track Down. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at Star Wars Brothers Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Uh, you know, I, I heard Facebook isn't really a thing anymore. If we've got younger listeners, they're probably a of bunch of old bogeys on the Facebook. What are the kids these days using, guys? Do you all even know? snap you snapchat can you snapchat a snapchat
0: podcast? a tiktok tiktok <laughs> we yeah, could
1: there's... do
2: a Snap. we could do a snapchat episode but then it'd be gone Uh-oh. yeah
1: right. <laughs> you know find a way to share us with your friends. you can just just tell them just tell them about us actually the best way the best thing you can do of course is to go on to itunes and leave us a uh, a great review so i don't think we have any of those yet i haven't checked um recently but but uh, but that'd be great be, be good to be a part of an un, a, a, a podcast that I actually has a rating on you know when you're scanning down through and a podcast has no reviews you just it's like ah nobody's listening to this um, every now and then I get onto iTunes and actually search for Star Wars just to see if we're coming up no <laughs> the search results run out before we show up so uh, I know we got a few listeners out there and we appreciate y'all
0: thanks for listening. who's starting I'll go who's this first? is for you Cliff okay where do Gungans store their fruit preserves Gungans store their fruit preserves I don't know Jar Jar's
1: oh yeah that's good that's good I like it I like it warrants oh, a smile Jar Jar's <laughs>
2: all right john my turn all right so what was luke's secret code name before he got his mechanical
1: limb
2: Hmm. i don't know hand hand solo oh -hmm. oh, that's good i like that that's that's great i like that a lot
1: (laughs) and solo (laughs) because he has one hand all right This one's more of a trivia question than a joke, but y'all are just going to have to uh, just go, just roll with it. Which publicly traded company uh, does does Palpatine endorse? Publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, does Palpatine publicly endorse? Happens in episode Uh, three. That's your your hint. Episode three. three. Come on. Come on, guys. It's it's PepsiCo. Uh, Pepsi. You know. He tries to, oh, he's always trying to get Anakin drink to drink Mountain Dew. Do it.
0: You <laughs> love that joke. Do it. <laughs>
2: uh, right before he kills Dooku. And with that statement right there, we just lost whatever listener we had.